And you may be seated. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're making our way through this book. Uh, my name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you are new here, I tell you, we are so glad to have you with us. I will tell you that a church's spiritual health is going to be determined by what it does with the text we're looking at today, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Our vitality, our mission, how we go about the ministry, how we identify, how we grow is all going to be based upon what we do with this text. In fact, you're going to find that the charge is to preach the word, and it's given with full kingdom authority. It is really the charge to keep. And I also want you to know that what we're about to discover and walk through is deeply personal for me. Because 23 plus years ago, I was commissioned from Southwest Bible Church in Beaverton, Oregon, and this was the passage that was preached, and I was commissioned to be a pastor and a preacher that does just this, proclaims the word. In fact, this is what that looked like with some people that are very dear to me that commissioned me to do just this. And that's because the preaching of the word is essential to the health of the church. So what is the mindset? What are the motives? What's the manner in which Christ-centered preachers and teachers are to go about teaching the Bible? That's why this text is so critically important. And we're going to find, first of all, in chapter 4, verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2, that Bible teachers are compelled by God's charge. Take a look. He says, verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. You'll not find a more loaded charge in all of Scripture. All of God's kingdom authority, his very nature himself, is all loaded in this charge. In fact, he says, I charge you. It is an absolute imperative command. This is what you must do. And he says, this command is given in the presence of God. Think of it, God's presence God the Father, and he also speaks, and of Christ Jesus, co-eternal, co-equal. Charge, this charge comes from God the Father and Christ Jesus, the living Lord. And notice how he's described. He is the judge of the living and the dead. All humanity is going to appear before Jesus Christ, the living Lord. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ as the Savior, the one who died in the place for our sins, took on the penalty of death, rose from the grave, we who trust in Jesus as Savior and the Lord of our lives, we will face Jesus for an evaluation of what we did with what he called us to do. He gave us gifts, opportunity, skills. He gave us resources. We will be evaluated, what did you do with what I asked you to do? But for those who have spurned him, rejected him, maybe familiar with Jesus, showed up in church every once in a while, but they have never come to a place of truly yielding, following him, they will face an eternal judgment. And notice what he says. He is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is speaking of Jesus Christ's second coming. 
Just like it was promised and fulfilled 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, he came the first time. He came to provide salvation, to declare the kingdom of God is in their midst. And he is going to return. He promised. And there are many prophecies that speak of the return of Jesus to reign as king on this earth, as the eternal son of David. And he says, on the basis of his appearing and his kingdom, the realm in which Christ is reigning and ruling in the hearts of his people that will one day even have a physical manifestation, the eternal king, this is the one thing I want you to do. Preach the word. The word preach, it means to herald, to speak publicly, to proclaim. He says, Paul is writing to Timothy, this pastor in Ephesus, his protege, and he's saying, one thing we must do. You have been called as a pastor who preaches. You are to preach the word. And the word preach means to herald, and it really calls to mind what was very customary in ancient kingdoms. You would have like a uh, a ruler, um, an emperor, a king, and he would send out his heralds. Any official edict, new laws, new policies, wars that were being waged, if the emperor or the king was going to make an appearance, he would send out a herald, and they would have a specific message. And the herald's job was to bring the exact message from the king or the emperor. Uh, they, couldn't, they weren't like involved in negotiating. Uh, the herald didn't like, well, I'm just going to give you the general sense of what the king had to say. It was spelled out. He would read it. He would declare it. You didn't negotiate. If, even if you didn't like the new laws or you didn't like the fact that the king was going to show up, he wasn't there to negotiate. He was there to declare the message of the king. And that's what preachers do. We declare the word of God. So when it comes to preaching the word, we read the scriptures, we explain what the scriptures mean, we build understanding, we help you develop an understanding of the word, and then we share how is it that we could apply this as spirit-filled believers. And there is a difference really between teaching and preaching. Teaching is informing, it's building understanding, it feeds the mind. But preaching not only feeds the mind and develops understanding, but it also compels the will to respond, to call, it's a call to action. It's not just that you're informed, but that you are called to move to action, to make a decision. And so that's what we are to do. Paul is telling Timothy, and by that, he is calling all pastors, all preaching pastors need to have an awareness you're going to stand before him who is going to judge the living and the dead. What did you do with what I commissioned you to do? I called you to preach the word. And preaching the word means that you're not just giving some sort of like running commentary of what you think God is like. You're not passing on, hey, these are my impressions or what I like to think about when I think about God. These are the things that kind of just warm my heart. We're not passing on private opinions, personal experiences, theological traditions. We're not pushing any sort of political agenda. We got one job, and that job is to take the word of God in its fullness and proclaim it. We don't uh, change it. 
We don't mess with the details. We don't modify it so it's more palatable to people. We're not in our individual ingenuities. Just, well, we're just going to have some really clever messages, and we're just going to get people real happy and, and just laughing and, and just along for the ride, and we'll sprinkle in a few Bible verses. No. You got a job. It is what? And I don't want you to miss this. Verse 2. I've got it underlined in my Bible and underlined in my heart. We are to preach the word. And that has always been the case. In the early church, what is it that they did? They gathered, and one of the things that absolutely had to take place was the preaching of the word. Like we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writes this, Until I come, I want you to give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and teaching. That's what you are to do. You see, it's God's word that actually leads us to salvation in Christ. Do you remember last week when we saw chapter 3, verse 15? What did it say? It said that from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So as you proclaim the word, the excellencies of the character of God, of who Christ is, that's what the word is, God's self-revelation. Why? It points us. It not only shows us our sinfulness, but it points us to Christ the Savior. It's through the preaching of the word that we build this strong relationship and we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We put our faith in him. But God's word is not only used to bring salvation, it's also used to bring sanctification, to set us apart as God's holy people, like we just sang, to bring about growth and maturity in our lives. And we see that in verses 16 and 17 in chapter 3. Remember, all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means literally from the breath of God. It's, it's the emanation of God's character. It's his self-declaration of his revelation of who he is. He says all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And God fully intends to do his good work all the time, through all of his people, for them to be brought to the fullness of maturity and relationship with Jesus, to live in his love, to know his goodness, to reflect his likeness. How does he do that? Through his spirit and his word. God brings transformation through his revelation. And I'll tell you this. You've got to truly believe that the Bible is God's word if you're ever going to preach it. If you do not believe that the Bible is inspired, literally from the breath of God, that it is inerrant, meaning without error, because it is rooted in God's character, God who cannot lie. It is infallible, meaning fully trustworthy and absolutely authoritative. You will not preach the word. You might give messages that have Bible verses in them, but you have to have the full conviction of what the word is in order for it to be preached. You have to truly believe that the Bible is from God. And that's why Bible teachers are compelled by God's charge to preach the word. But there's something else that you and I need to understand about the mindset and manner of Christ-centered preachers and teachers of the word. And that is that Bible teachers are to be competent to preach God's word. Notice what he says in verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience, and instruction. 
He says, you are to be ready at all times. This word ready uh, was used of like for guards who were put on high alert that an attack was about, was imminent, was about to come. It was also used to be ready when they would call soldiers who were just about ready to engage in the battle. The moment before the moment where it's life and death, swords are flashing, arrows are being shot, it's going to be hand-to-hand combat, they would say, be ready, because the fight is on. That's the same word here. We are to be ready in season and out of season, meaning all the time. It's kind of calling to mind the imagery of farming. Like, when it's in season for the farmer, what are they doing? It's harvest time, right? Super exciting. All the crops are coming in. Wheat, barley, the grapes, here they are. It's great. But a farmer doesn't just work at harvest. Actually, he's working all the time. He has to work out of season. The times where you're tilling the soil, planting the seed, irrigating, uh, picking out weeds, pulling out rocks out of your field so it will be a better field for farming. A farmer is always working, whether it's in season or out of season. So it is for the preacher of the word. He says, you need to be ready at all times. When the crop is visibly apparent, it seems like an abundant harvest. And when it seems like, whoa, I'm not sure anything is happening. It does not matter. You have a charge to keep. Whether it's popular or convenient or it's not, you are to preach the word. Whether you are well-received and loved or whether you are maligned, slandered, and criticized, it doesn't matter. You are to preach the word. You're ready in season and out of season. So we got an example of this like in the book of Acts, which is the early history of the church. Acts 2, remember Pentecost? And Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit no longer hiding and running away and denying Jesus. Now he's proclaiming him. And you know, after his message, when he presented and said, hey, listen, this Jesus, he is the Messiah, and you killed him. And in him and him alone is salvation. And do you know there were 3,000 people that were broken over their sin and what they've done and how they've lived and put their faith in Jesus? In fact, they went on to be baptized. That's Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 7, you got another guy, a guy by the name of Stephen. And you can read about, his, his message is amazing. It's, an, it's like an overview of the entire Old Testament and how it actually points to Jesus as the Messiah. And he calls out and says, hey, you crucified this very one, this promised son of David, and he's alive from the dead. He is the king, the Messiah. You need to believe in him? You know how they received that message? Well, Stephen received 300 stones coming his way, and they killed him. He was the very first martyr, the first one to die for the faith in Christ. It doesn't matter how people respond. If you're a preacher of the word, you're teaching the Bible, you're called to be faithful. In fact, this is how you go about it. Look what he says, verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. Has the idea of correcting false doctrine or errant behavior. And you do that with the scriptures. It's not like, well, the pastor just kind of tells me what to do and what, no, You show them from the word. Let God do his work with his word in the lives of his people. And you rebuke, which has correcting a person's motives. You're you're leading them to repentance and remorse of how they've missed it when there's wrong motives in a heart. But God does it through his word. And furthermore, you are also to, like he says, to exhort. 
It's the, it has the idea of encouragement, to encourage the heart. Picture like a coach that is working with athletes and encouraging them, pointing out, hey, listen, what you're doing here, you would do far better if you didn't do this. And here is where you're doing things correctly. And here's where you want to excel still more. It's that kind of exhortation. It, it's the parakaleo. It's coming alongside and encouraging. That is what the preacher, the pastor, is to do. He's to preach the word. And notice what it's going to take. Great patience and instruction. These are two necessary components. Because you're in it for the long haul. Great patience. Because... People don't just grow automatically. You know, how, you know how people grow and mature in the faith? Why, it's very much like trees. And as they're sinking deeper roots in knowing God and his word, there's the residual effect that they're developing that core, that trunk. And from this character of Christ and their growth and relationship with Jesus, it starts showing up in their relationships and their convictions, and their character, and it shows up in their work, and they begin to see their life as a ministry, and they start growing because they're being brought to the fullness of maturity in Christ. You know what grows up real fast? Weeds. God isn't interested in, like, just flash in the pan, weeds. What he's interested are people growing to the fullness of maturity in Christ, where they understand God. Their comprehension and understanding is being shaped by the word. They're developing convictions that are in line with the scripture. And from that comes a life, behavior. They're living as God intended, as revealed in his word. And so what we do is we speak the truth in love, like it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But it is absolutely essential that the Bible teaching pastor, the preacher, is teaching the truth. It's going to require development, training, ongoing growth. It's, it's going to be challenging. You're going to have to understand what is being said. It's, not, it's, it's going to take something out of you. It's going to require a lot of diligence and a lot of effort. But after all, we're heralds of the king, and we are to preach the word. People need to know the truth. And you and I, when it's important, we expect the truth, don't we? Yes, you do. So, for instance, let's say you take your car into the mechanic, and you're like, hey, I'm going to go on a big trip, and um, so I need you to look over my car and make sure everything's great. And so the mechanic, you know, he's, a couple hours later, they, yep, car's all done. Come in, and you're like, hey, you are like an automotive genius. I tell you what, your car is in primo shape, man. I mean, there's, it's excellent. Good job. Way to go. Oh, we need more people like you. And then uh, you, you take off later that day, and, uh, well, you have, like, a serious breakdown. In fact, the brakes don't work, and your car catches on fire because it overheats. And you're like, what? You've got to be kidding. Could have, like, lost my life. I could have really hurt some people. And you eventually are going to make your way back to the mechanic like, hey, wait a second here. You know, you told me that my car was, like, everything was fine. You checked it all over. But clearly it wasn't. Why did you tell me that? Oh, the mechanic goes, oh, well, I knew your car was a total disaster, and you have no idea what you're doing. I know that. But you see here, I want people to like me. I like friends. I, I, I want this to be a safe place. So I tell people what they like to hear. I mean, don't you get it? And you're like, no, I don't get it. Listen, when it comes to my car, I want the truth. Or we see that, like, when you, uh, when you go visit your doctor, you get your annual physical, Right? 
because you've got one body, you want to take care of it, right? And so you're in, and, and the doctor's all checking you over there, and like, and he comes back and says, you know what? You are doing awesome. I tell you what, you've got like the body of Olympian, and you're like, really? And like, you're like, I don't really exercise, and I, I, I've never even thought about like what I eat. I just eat, you know? And like, and he's like, you're in great shape, man. You just, whatever you're doing, just keep it up there. And you're like feeling pretty good about yourself. Like, like, man, it must be genetics or something. Like, whoa, oh, great. But then you're feeling so good about yourself, you take the stairs instead of the elevator there, and while you're doing it, your heart goes out, right? And uh, they eventually have to cart you away in an ambulance, and you're at that ER there, and it's serious. And you find out that you're just one plate of brisket away from eternity, okay? And they're working on you and to try to do everything they can to keep you alive, and they're successful. And you're going to go back and visit your physician. And you're like, hey, what in the world are you telling me that, like, I'm in perfect health? I think you thought, like, I was an Olympian or something like that, jazz, What? When clearly that wasn't the case, but the doctor says, oh, I know that you're, you're actually in terrible shape. I, I, I know that. I mean, it's kind of apparent, but really, I want this to be a happy place. And so I tell people what they like to hear. They feel good about themselves, and, and frankly, they feel good about me, and that's what I'm really after. You'd say, doctor, I'm into the truth, and if you can't provide it for me, it's probably time that I find a new doctor. Wouldn't you say that? So why is it, when it comes to your soul, your life, your eternity, would you want anything but the truth? Would you want someone just to kind of string you along, along the line with some little cotton candy sermons, little fluff here, a lot of garbage over here, a Bible verse here and there? Would you really want someone to not really tell you the truth, to not preach the word? You might want to make that decision because I want you to know this is the issue that is facing Christianity today. What, who are the men that are going to stand in pulpits and proclaim the word, go against a cultural grain to tell people the truth about their human condition, about your life, about eternity, about the wonders of Jesus, to take you deep in the word? And that's what this text calls us to do. And you've got to be competent, which means you're going to need some training. You're going to need development, and it's an ongoing development. You're always growing. And for those of you who are teaching the Bible and those of you who are preachers, um, I want you to know that it's something we continue to give ourselves to. And I have actually uh, written in our Life-Giving Discipleship book, chapter 12 is dedicated to the entire process that I follow from the time you just open up and start reading the passage to the time you proclaim it and deliver it. And if you'd like to know more or just even what goes into a message and every Christian needs to know, I'd encourage you to take a look at that. But we follow basically like a simple pattern that we find in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And it says simply that for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's what we do. We preach the word. There are different ways to preach the word. There's topical preaching. uh, There's textual preaching. But one of the very best ways of preaching the word is called expository preaching. And you're like, Okay, what does that even mean? Let me give you just a simple definition. It's a method of preaching the scripture that explains the main points and the meaning of a passage, and then it actually expresses why this is important, why God had this written, and then it exemplifies how you apply this passage as a follower of Jesus, as a Christ-centered believer. And that's what you do. So sequential expository preaching 
is that you're just taking it passage by passage, verse by verse. It's what we're doing as we're going through the book of 2 Timothy. And we do that because God is the one who shepherds his people through the preaching of the word. You see, it's not up for the pastor to like just be real clever and come up with some fancy little message. It'll be cute, throw in a few Bible verses. No, our job is to preach the word because God shepherds his people through his word. If we were just topical, I would pick probably my 40 favorite topics, and I would avoid all the difficult and the hard things and the things that are super countercultural. The things that are like, oh man, that's deep and that's hard for me to think about. That requires me to use all of my brain cells and then some to understand. Why, guess what? If you're just all topical, you'll skip all the difficult and the challenging. But when you do expository preaching and you do it sequentially, God shepherds his people and systematically everything that God says is important is discovered and wrestled with. And it's God who brings regeneration and renewal. He's the one who restores the heart. And there, you can preach your heart out, but there is no growth unless God provides it. And so when it comes to preaching, Bible teachers are to be competent in preaching God's word. But there's something else you need to know. Bible teachers are to be committed to teach people, God's people, the truth. And I want you to know that this is going to be really challenging. In a culture that just clamors after cultural relevance, um, minimalizes God and his truth, wants to get it out at any place it might even be found, I want you to know that God intends for his word to go forth, but it is going to be challenging. How challenging? Well, take a look at what he says in verse 3. We're going to see that fallen human nature recoils from divinely revealed truth. He says, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. You see, you see that? The time's going to come where folks are not going to be interested in the pure. It's where we get our word hygiene, hygienic, the pure, sound, solid teaching of God's word, the doctrines of our faith. People are not going to be interested in in-depth understanding of God, understanding the truth about his word, going deep. In fact, he says, it's going to be worse than that. They're not going to endure sound doctrine, but they're going to want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate. Do you see that, verse 3? Teachers in accordance to their, there's a key word, their own desires. What they want. Self drives them. It's what happens is they develop a consumer mentality when it comes to God and his word. What I want, when I want it, from who I want it, to the degree that I want it. And he says, that's what's coming. You see, the Bible is not meant to be kind of like supplemental. The Bible is the message. We don't invent messages. We proclaim God's message. That's what we do. But people are going to Turn aside from that. They're not going to want it. In fact, they're going to turn to, look at what the text says. They want, they're going to be driven by their own self-desires, and they'll, verse 4, they will turn away their ears from the, here it is, the truth, and will turn aside to myths. They're going to turn away from the truth, and what they're going to want are myths, whether they be ancient or modern. 
And it'll have, it'll look like spirituality. It'll be like, yeah, yeah, we're a church. And oh yeah, we're helping you grow. And, and we're having a good time doing it. But I want you to know, it does not actually bring people to a strong, saving knowledge of Jesus. To the cost of discipleship, of growing in Christ, of maturing, of really wrestling with the great matters of life and the grandeur of God, it just never goes there. And so what happens is, People are saying, uh-uh, uh I'm in charge, and yeah, I like God, but I like people that just tell me what I want to hear and how I want to hear it. I like myths. I like the creativity. We can do all this, and, and I, like, I like individuals that do that for me. I want you to know what's happening is they're having spirituality on their terms. You know, we have a, we have a significant problem in the church. It's a diet problem. And I'm not talking about bulging waistlines. I'm talking about the fact that we have many Christians that are emaciated, starving to death. Some of them don't even know it. They just don't have the word. The word isn't taught. They don't actually ever spend time in the word. They're pretty unfamiliar with it. They are probably biblically illiterate. And what our souls need is God's truth. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why pastors, Bible teachers, are to preach the word. And so if you're attracted to spirituality on your terms, what's going to happen is you're going to avoid God's word and how he presents it clearly from the scriptures. What's happened is, you see, the Bible, when it comes to messages, it's like a steak dinner. It's like the meat and potatoes. It's like the main chorus. But what's happened is like, well, yeah, Bible, that's all important stuff. But it's kind of like important, like a side salad is important. Or that little parsley leaf garnish, you know, that's kind of on that. You ever go to a like, fancy place and they put that little garnish there? You know, you can eat that if you want, but you, like, yeah, you may not like it. The side salad, take it or leave it. I want you to know the Bible is not the side salad or the little parsley garnish. It is to be the main course. And if you're not feeding people the truth of God's word, you are not fulfilling the calling in which God has called you to do if you're a Bible-teaching pastor. And you are going to be stand an account for what you did with this truth and with those people. People are going to be attracted to folks that are going to tickle their ears, turn aside to myths. And so what happens happened now is like, hey, listen, there's some pretty tough stuff in the Bible. And so folks like, hey, listen... I don't really like this whole concept of sin. I mean, we have so much negativity in our world. We just don't want to even talk about that. And so what happens is people never actually address the horrendous nature of sin and the offense toward God. This whole idea like telling people the truth about hell, we can't do that. People don't like that. So you just always avoid it. You just never mention it. You never even talk about its reality as if it doesn't even exist. This whole idea that Jesus Christ is the only way to relationship with God, that doesn't work in a culture that says there's many ways to God if you even want to believe in him. Where Jesus says, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life, right? And so what happens is you just kind of give the all roads lead to God approach. This whole idea that God is sovereign and fully in control, Oh, you know, that kind of infringes on me being in control. I don't like that, okay? So what you do is you just water down God where he becomes kind of like a celestial Santa Claus. And that works for a lot of people. They, they like that. This whole idea of being broken over your sin, trusting in Christ, desperate need of him. Who thinks like that? 
God does. But there are a lot of people like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so they handcraft their own religion. By the way, if there is no sin, then there is no need for a savior. If there's no hell, there's no real need for you to be rescued, is there? Teach people the truth. You know, if you want a golden calf to worship, there are plenty of pseudo-spirituality folks that'll offer you anything you want. There are golden calf makers ready to accommodate. But God says, with absolute clarity and with divine authority, kingdom authority, preach the word. There is no such thing as spiritual maturity apart from scriptural truth. And that's why Paul writes in verse 5, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Sober, thinking clearly, not inebriated, not intoxicated with the things of this world. You be sober in all things, experiencing the joy of Christ. You've got the stability of Christ and his word. You are to endure hardship, and it is going to be tough. I mean, yeah, it is tough because you're going against the grain of the culture, but you're also, it's also going to be tough because there's a lot of folks who are like, yeah, uh, I'm not really interested in in-depth teaching of the Word. I'm not really interested in diving into the Scriptures. And I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do a number on your heart and your soul. There are folks that are going to walk away and say, I'm interested in something different, something probably a lot lying, along the lines of my ears being tickled rather than my soul being convicted. But you know, if you're a preacher... We're kind of like the Pony Express. We bring the message, no matter who's shooting at us or what the weather is. You endure hardship. You do the work of an evangelist. You proclaim the fullness of Christ, and you do what? What does that text say? You fulfill your ministry wholeheartedly and with your whole life. This is your charge to keep. You see, the preaching of the word is essential to the health of the church. It is why the preaching of the word must be a top priority for the church. It absolutely must be because God insists upon it. This is what he has called us to do. And I would like to just say this. Thank you. I want to thank you for being such an amazing church that loves God and loves his truth. This is an enviable opportunity for me to be able to present the truth teach the word because it's just the widespread response, the love of Christ, the growth in Jesus. Thank you. But you need to understand that there is going to be a battle, and the battle is for the truth. And who are the people? Who are the men who will preach it and tell the truth no matter what and fulfill this charge to keep? There was a British ocean liner called the RMS Lusitania. Uh, When it was actually built, it was the largest passenger ship in the world. Extremely luxurious. Um, But in 1915, May 7th, 7th, uh, it was attacked by a German submarine that shot a torpedo, and it hit the Lusitania. Everybody on board, and there were a a lot of folks there. In fact, there were uh, 1,959 passengers and crew. They felt it, and they heard the explosion. And one of the ladies that was walking saw the captain, and she approached the captain, and she asked, "What, what do you wish us to do? I mean, we've been hit. And Captain William Thomas Turner, he said this, 
Stay right where you are, madam. Everything is all right. And this lady's like, oh, wait a second. I think we've just been hit by a torpedo. And she said, Captain, where did you get your information? He said, I received it from the engine room. Everything is going to be just fine. And with that, this woman turned around and started yelling out to everyone, the captain says the ship is fine. Everything is okay. While she's doing that, there are people that were actually climbing into the lifeboats. They were putting on these life vests because they thought they were going down. But when they heard this woman and word started spreading and everybody started calling out that everything's fine, people started cheering. People that were getting in those boats were like, oh, great, climb back out. Didn't want to be in that boat anyway. And they were cheering and yelling because they they heard something that they either wanted to believe or actually believed that nothing could hurt this ship. But I want you to know that the captain received no such message from the engine room. In fact, 18 minutes later, the Lusitania was on the seabed. This is what it looked like. I want you to know something. 1,198 people died. Living without the truth can be lethal, especially for your souls. God wants his people told the truth. And the preaching of the word is essential to the health of the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your truth. For someone who has never trusted in Jesus, would they just pray with me and say, God, I I repent, I turn from myself and my sin, I receive Jesus as my Savior. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, God, help us to be shaped by your word. Help us to be bold and courageous, unashamed of the gospel and of your truth, to never compromise. And would you, through the working of your spirit, allow us to live lives, winsome lives, lives in love with you, walking your truth for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.